Bridget of the secret forge, Bridget of the mighty heart, flaming hair, exalted one, from my heart never depart. Bridget, the smith in the forge, Bridget, oh healing one, Bridget, shining poet, Bridget, saint and woman. Hello and welcome. This is Mixed Media Talks, a forum for artists to talk shop with each other and go deep into the intersections between a wide variety of different media forms, process, philosophy, all things that touch art in our lives. And I hope to have a little fun with our guests getting to nerd out while we do it. I'm your host, Amelia Hogan, a mixed media artist, singer, painter, book artist, and I have a deep love of all things art. I want to know more about what makes us as artists tick. One slash slash link tr dot ee slash Fio Gede Parma, F-I-O-G-E-D-E-P-A-R-M-A, so you can find out what they're doing. Welcome back to part two of Mystic Art with Fio Gede Parma, in which we talk about evolving relationships, beloved dead, seership and possession, bravery, their upcoming book, witchcraft, transgression, transgression as art, gateways, provocation, ethics and intent versus impact, content warnings, aventure and changes that come, inevitable transformation, and luck force, superstition and intuition, cultural appropriation, and authority as sacred, and advice to someone starting out in their own mystic art. Is there a group of collaborators entities, ancestors that you are currently in immediate relationship with that you weren't maybe five years ago or that you found yourself building relationships with that you never thought you would? It's certainly true that the current iteration is has evolved. This is hard for me, this question. Thanks for asking it because it's... Like, because, you know, as I breathe, as I, you know, kind of drop my eyeballs down my throat into my lungs and into my intestines, which is what I'm doing, I hear a lot of laughter. I think, you know, one of, one of my beloveds recently died four days ago. And this is a person who many, many, many people loved. Love. And this is a person who initiated powerfully so many people and who herself was an artist of great measure. So I'm noticing the beloved dead, I'm noticing the mighty dead, I'm noticing how many people have... Your question in particular, my answer right now is, there are people that I knew and loved and continue to know and love in a different form who have passed in the last two years and they are there. I work in deep relationship with a lot of beings that cultures would call gods. But right now I'm noticing the very, very human animal dead. And um, and I'm also noticing the cliffs. In early April, I moved to this land, which is Gadigal Bidjigal country in so-called Sydney. And I live very close to the cliffs here. The cliffs that are the cliffs that the first fleet, which are the 11 ships in 1788 that came from Britain to colonize and invade. These are those cliffs. 
I live here and I notice how deeply in relationship I am collaboratively with those cliffs. How often do I go to those cliffs and um, catch songs? Songs I did not previously consciously know. Mm. And they swoop through my being and then they are there. And that's mostly how, I, I don't know if this is similar for you and your song catching, but for, which is a term that, by the way, I should say, I learned from Petty Songcatcher, who is a German witch. But this song, that's how it feels. It feels like you're catching songs because they are there. They are there to be caught. They are there to be felt. And so the dead, often a lot of my favorite songs and chants that have come kind of just kind of through me, they are whole and complete unto themselves. And so I'm collaborating with those cliffs, with the dead, with, I don't know, so much, so much. One of my favorite sayings, so when I teach the arts of oracular seership and trance possession, which are some of my favorite arts, I grew up with both of those things. Those things are central in my family. When I teach those arts to witches and spirit workers and mystics, I always say, we are never not possessed. Because what I really want people to understand is not that there are these like little motes of consciousness or modes of being and we're all walking around and we're all so discreet and we're all... No, it's all permeable membrane. <laughs> it's And yes, we all belong to the ground of our own being. Yes, we have the ability to negotiate and discern and say no. But what I mean when I say we are never not possessed is that, look, what, what I think I am is made up of bacteria, microbes crawling across my eyelashes. Are these even even my eyelashes. I'm every ancestor. I'm the cliffs. I'm the water of dinosaurs. I'm dragonfly wings. Like this is just true. It's poetic and it's true. <laughs> and so I'm collaborating all the time, all the time. Like I'm, I'm never not. It's like you were mentioning before about the Irish cultures and how they, how it's an old culture and everything's relational. When you were saying that I was thinking about the song of Amarine and I was thinking of these Dr Milesian people in the myth coming to, you know, Eren and being like, I am the stag of seven tines. I am the flood on the plain. I am the salmon in the water. You know, I'm like, yes, duh. And this is how the beings that are Ireland herself were like, yep, you get it. Come on in. Only if you name this place after us. <laughs> and of course, we still call her all those names to this day. How effective was that? You know, that's a pretty like, good contract. Yeah, you know, so that's sovereignty. Like sovereignty to me isn't like I individually, independently of anything else, have control. I really don't like that word. Have control of whatever I'm doing. I'm like, mm, I don't know if that's my experience. But sovereignty for me is that I belong to myself. And therefore I have the same rights as any other being that belongs to themselves. And so I can negotiate and say no and say yes and say maybe, just like any other being. But I'm always more than I consciously understand. And so this is my very long-winded answer to say, <laughs> say because I, I kind of have to say all of this, to, to get to the point where I'm like, I don't know. Like, who are these beings, entities, people collaborating with me? I guess my truest answer is I don't fully always know. But right now it's the beloved mighty dead and the cliffs hmm. and this moment like you and me talking and this moment that's it's all there yeah you mentioned the word sovereignty right it's to be in right relationship to yourself i think of that as a matter of being integral and integrity and integrated right all of those yeah. related words yeah specifically because that wholeness includes all of those relationships Exactly. And it's a very different conversation when someone tells you to know your place 
and then you actually do and you realize they're full of beans and have no business trying to make you fit into a box that is not u-shaped <laughs> i love i love that saying that full of beans saying I'm isn't like, that I've great never, i've never heard that before <laughs> That's funny that you didn't, okay. It's, well, it's idiomatic. I think it's because Australians, we just, when you said full of beans, I, as someone raised here, would say something else. <laughs> Is there a place that you feel scared about and vulnerable about and maybe where you have to be a little bit braver than you expect relative to your art, arts? Mm. Honestly, always. Like that whole, when you, especially when you said braver, I was like, I feel like I'm constantly having to like call up courage, which I love to always remember is connected to the heart. Like that. Encore is the French. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm always like, yes, to be heartfelt, to be heartful. Yeah, always. When I am, okay, let me, let me, let me again, like flicker through. And so currently I'm, I'm editing this manuscript, which is like, for me, it feels because it is the first book I've written in over a decade on my own as a human. Of course, it's written by so many um, other beings, but I have to be brave with it because it's, I have had to really, over the five years I've been wrestling with this entity that is this book, I have had to really ask myself a lot of grave questions. I've had to, I'm like, what am I doing? Why am I doing it? And I came, I came to this and I'm still anchored in this, which is why I feel in right relationship with it. I need, it's a need. I need the world to understand that, or even people who call themselves witches to understand that witchcraft is not first and foremost a religious tradition, but that it is a deeply erotic, intimate, mystical art. Like, and that it is about transgression. It's about standing as, it's about which is necessarily being enemies to empire. It's about, it's about magic as a, as a way of weaving our yearning and longing into, into poetry, song, dance, art, relationship. Like, so I need even those people who are, it's, it's a need. So, so, so that's how I know I'm still there with it because it's not, it's not even a desire, <laughs> although that's an interesting fine line. But and I have to be really brave with it. Every time I go to edit that manuscript, I'm like, whoa, this book is such a such a serpent. She's such a leviathan. She's got so many heads like she's spitting fire and rain. And I'm just the midwife. And I don't even know if I'm that. It's very complicated. <laughs> and so I have I notice I'm afraid sometimes of that book, like quite scared. And I'm um, not, yeah, afraid and, and I have to be brave with them because this is something of very real substance who's trying to claw out of me onto the page is how it feels. And I'm like, for five years, I've, I've tried to hold her off. And then in the middle of this year, I couldn't. And I, I wrote out the first manuscript in 40 days. And I was like, what the fuck just came out of me? Like, <laughs> so I had to really, and yeah, I've had to be really mindful of word. It's a book, it's totally the art of word. And I've had to be super mindful of it. So when it comes to that interesting thing you were talking about of will not tell you and cannot tell you, that's when I always revert to poetry. So there's a lot of poetry, like full on poetry in this book. When I get to a point where I'm like, cannot explain poetry, <laughs> like, like just pages of poetry. So almost at the end of every chapter is just me for pages, just 
fucking poetry because and I have to signal it I'm like and now this because I'm trying to be able to facilitate an experience not the passing of information that's rubbish that's not what I'm doing at all I'm trying to have a book that is a talisman that is a gateway that someone could engross themselves in and and be enriched by and then go back into their body of experience and go and be provoked Mm. yeah Here's maybe another question for you relative to that. What is your responsibility as an artist to somebody else's experience? Because Mm -hmm. impact versus intent versus that you cannot dictate how someone will feel or experience it or respond to it. Exactly. This is where that whole um, everything worthwhile is dangerous thing comes in by Victor Anderson. (laughs) But what I mean by that is that so there's basically in the very beginning of this book, I am very intense about I would like you to follow this book as it is written out and then I contrast that with there are other books that I have written where you can bounce around and have a fun time and did it did it but this is not that book <laughs> this book I need you I need you I desire you I invite you to follow through these processes these processes about dissolving into darkness these these processes about unnaming and renaming these processes about aligning these processes about opening the crossroads and what does that mean always giving a lot of context i'm a very heavy context giver so for me my way of ensuring as best i can with this kind of work is context like Mm -hmm. i'm like this is the context this is the context and even this is more of the context like I just am very heavy on context and then I'm very clear to the person and the person's sovereignty with my words like kind of like queen of swords clear if you do this thing and you have not done this thing or this thing or this thing it will be a bad idea like stuff like stuff like that not even messing around at the same time what i'm trying to do at the end of this book you mentioned it again with that whole mystery tradition thing and then you were referring to your sacred initiatory journey i this book is there are many books of this nature that are like here's a dedication ritual to dedicate to your path no that's not how i did it at the end of this book i was like if you really want to understand what initiating into your craft is, initiating into your relationship with your spirits. This has nothing to do with anyone else's mystery tradition. Then here is a process, a journey, a spell for you to wholeheartedly embark on. It will change you forever. (laughs) And And then there it is, you know? For me, it's like, this is that, I guess one of my elders, Pandora, would say it's aventure, which is like, I think, a Middle English or Old English. Is it Old English? Anyway, it's where we get our modern adventure from. But apparently in medieval times, that turn didn't mean I'm going on a quest. It kind of had that with it, but it meant, oh, I stepped outside of my door and saw a swan and it spoke to me and it said, go into that forest. If you follow what the swan did, that's aventure. And then and then you get into the forest and you, you and you suddenly come into a grove and there's like a mushroom and the mushroom is shining and you touch the mushroom and then you have a dream and the dream says, you need to speak to this person. And if you follow that, then you're still following the aventure. And Pandora used to be a, an active professor and teach people medieval studies and old English. <laughs> so she knows. <laughs> and that's what this book is 
<laughs> it's like if you if you come into here all the heavy signposting heavy signposting heavy signposting and you continue to follow the aventure you will be irrevocably changed and so that's where art always like i have gone into art galleries before and not been ready like no one could prepare me for what happened to me like i'm sure this has happened to you too when i've walked into an art gallery and seen particular works that had me physically doubled over and sobbing on the ground with people all around me <laughs> no one can prepare you for that that has happened to me multiple times in life and so what i remind myself of as an artist is if I choose to cross over, if I choose to walk into this space, this liminal space, I'm risking being changed. And that's the level that I also, I'm very intense. <laughs> that's, the <level laughs> that, that's the level I want though. I wanna be, I wanna feel alive. Mm. Good books do that to me too. Good books. I love that moment. Yeah. When yeah, you, good when books you ruin me. Yes, really well crafted and well thought out weaving of words yes has that effect to be that kind of transformative i'm reminded of a time i went into a gallery i was doing a research fellowship in northern italy and it was a very specific research fellowship like weirdly specific equestrian monuments of the 16th century in northern italy as you understand bronze developments engineering wise right it's really specific and at one point the professor asked the the group of of five of us um, to look at the, the map and say, well, what, what would anybody like to do while you're in Milan? Hey, there's one afternoon where we can actually do something as a group that is not on the itinerary. And a couple of the other students said, I would love to see this exhibition of this artist, Francis Bacon. Mm. So funny story. I brought back the gallery catalog from the show. It's in Italian. Of course it is. And it's the book that separates my cooking books from my art books. And it just says bacon on the side because it's about the artist bacon. It's like we have so many little bits of, of humor exactly like that in this place. That's clever. I mean, you, you kind of can't get away from the whimsy of it. And I hate his work. I have a visceral response to revulsion at his work. Like it is everything skin crawlingly like horrified in being in the room with this and entire gallery of his stuff that are these three meter high by two meter wide canvases and you're just immersed in these they itch in every possible way color combinations and contrasts and stuff and so of course i had to buy the catalog because if something is that evocative and that horrifying to me i want to understand why yeah that is clearly effective art that it is viscerally not fun to look at yeah funny story about this artist he grew up in order to quiet him as a small child his nanny or nurse would give him morphine so he was addicted to morphine by the time he was five and like drunk on alcohol and so you couldn't have a cogent conversation with him without inebriants not just intoxicants but inebriants because that was his baseline operating mode his work sort of depicts that Simultaneity is the word that he liked to use. And his studio, photographs of his studio were horrendous messes. And you see this stuff where he's got archetypical figures with cubist almost fragments, like a fractured, it's almost like, like being in an entire gallery space with multiple rooms of being in someone's mental health breakdown, which is part of why it's so evocative and terrifying because that was his reality. And that's what he saw. 
like to share that kind of experience and make people think about it who see what you have created there is that danger that you're gonna freak people out you're going to have that and are you as an artist responsible for how others find and connect with that yeah it's an eternal it's an eternal question because i also think it's not just intention and impact although i always think it's important to think about impact it's also about yeah that back to the beginning intricacy it's about how we actually can't control every permutation it's about how there is an intricate an intricate intersection of interruptions by which i mean when someone is coming into a place of liminality of art of artfulness, there is going to be so many, there are so many variables that it is impossible or highly improbable, I'm gonna say impossible, to, to track and preempt and deal with all of those intricate happenings in some. I think trigger, like, trigger warnings and content warnings are useful insofar as they help to signpost to certain people or groups of people that if you are coming into this space or if you are going to walk past this line, then you may actually feel unsafe. That's really important. I think that's deeply important because the world is human part of it is often so fucked and we have done such terrible things to each other. There's so much abuse and trauma. And then art doesn't always shy away. It sometimes directly, it often directly goes there and invite, sometimes doesn't even invite you. Like it's just like it crash you tackles there. you to the ground and you're like, fuck. And so actually, I think I think about impact more than I think about my personal intention, which is something I have to come back to a lot. I'm like, what did I intend? <laughs> and then I spend a lot of time feeling into the intricacy. I think a lot of people, at least from what I've observed, miss that place where we stew in the intricacy and we allow ourselves simply to feel and sense and perceive in ways that aren't intellectual. Because you can actually shift, so many of us, you would know this, intuitively, instinctively adjust because we're somehow tracking on another level that something very bad is about to happen and we know how to pivot, we know how to adjust. And I like so, to call that that I'm lucky. Yeah. Right? Like, I, it's a luck thing. I but it's it also... I think it's a skill and a luck thing. I think it's about how to skillfully orient. Because like in the traditions I've been kind of trained or steeped in, there's a term called luck force. And a lot of the old superstitions in many of my ancestries are about how to hold that luck force, how to distribute that luck force, how to also how to negate certain kinds of luck force. <laughs> but that's, you know, all the best superstitions when you really look at them are actually coming out of a wise ecology of many beings relating. That's, they're called superstitions largely by other invading or dominating cultures and paradigms because they're actually really wise. In, they have multi-generational folk understandings. Sometimes we've lost that. Why do we not open an umbrella inside? Why, when the salt spills, do we do that? Why do, when I um, am walking at this time and I see this thing, do I need to bow in this way? Why do I turn over my silver coin to the new moon? There are reasons. <laughs> and they often concern the more than human. They often concern the dead. They often concern the land spirits. They often concern the spirit that is the house. And so to a reductive kind of hyper-rationalist, hyper-materialist kind of way of thinking, that's all ridiculous and rubbish so we call it superstition but it's all about navigating relationship and luck force i find that funny that you mentioned that specifically because you know i was just talking with another friend about this earlier this morning and that is intuition represents so much information that your conscious brain has not yet caught up with yeah a lot of what people call and dismiss as 
oh, that's just, that's just your intuition. I've heard people do that kind of denigration and gaslighting of someone's senses that some, no, there's a danger coming. Figure out why later. But acknowledging that it is based in real information that you are getting that you don't even know that you're getting. Yeah. I think these things are essential to understanding our relationships with people, places, things. Which brings me maybe to my next question about appropriation and cultural theft versus reverence. And what does that dynamic look like from someone who is mystic and from multiple cultures? Like, how do you conceive of that and or navigate the idea of learning from and borrowing from other places mm -hmm. and other, other people? I mean, again, it's all about relationship. And it's all about the difference for me between the public and the private and the spaces in between. I think that a lot of people willfully misunderstand cultural appropriation. They willfully misunderstand. It is actually really fucking simple. <laughs> it's so simple and it annoys the shit out of me when people take it to mean, like I've had full on just, are you fucking kidding me? When someone goes, okay, well then, what if what if this goes to the extreme where I can't, if I'm wearing these earrings that my friend gave me that are from this First Nations culture that I'm gonna be yelled at and I'm like, look, if you bought those earrings from this person who was selling them to you and they are from that culture, then that's fine. No one's, say, no one's telling you that isn't fine. That's a personal relationship. Might someone, some very overzealous white savior person in a shop stop you and yell at you? Maybe. But that's a different thing. That's not to put on that culture who is trying to safeguard the sanctity and the meaning and the context of what those things are. Also, these aren't monoliths. People from different cultures will have different ideas. That's why decades ago, some people were inspired to go from India and pass yogic lineages in the US. I have so many friends who have nothing to do with being ethnically Indian or Balinese or Thai or, you know, Tibetan or Nepalese, but who are deeply, mindfully, respectfully engaged in those traditions, you know? And then there's the, is it being commercialized? Is it being fetishized? Who does it center? I think a lot of people are also scared of the concept of authority because all we have is these particular culture of domination, coercion, and control forms of authority where that authority destroys your autonomy. But in indigenous cultures, authority is sacred. Elders have authority. It's been acknowledged by the community. Someone doesn't just go, I'm an elder. The community acknowledges you as such and they're acknowledging you as such because you have authority. Everyone has authority in the body of our own experience. You have certain authorities, Amelia, that I do not have and I would bow to you on them, you know? So, and then there's the cultural authority. Who has cultural authority here? There are certain, especially for First Nations cultures who have been, you know, whose lands have been taken, whose children are continued uh, today, that's still true, whose children are taken, whose people are raped, like horrible, 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 still going on, not in the past. And then you, and then you want to take their sacred mystical teachings as well, which also aren't separate from any of their rest of their lives. And then you want to commodify and sell them. No, obviously no. Like, yeah. Big, big line, no. Are you in relationship with certain people? Are you... Are you privately connected to something? Whatever, that's private. That's between you, those spirits, the land and those people. Or, or that's private and you have to contend with that in your web of relationships. But yeah, in terms of like, there's a conversation that is a very American conversation. It very much affects Australia because Australia likes to go, oh, we're just America's little dropping on us. Mm. Yeah. 
Mm. It's, it's sad. And so the conservative, I've, I'm clearly not a conservative, the conservative um, reaction to these conversations is, well, this is ridiculous. This is just PC gone mad. Everything, what about a black person playing the violin? That's cultural appropriation. I'm like, no, it's not. Here are the reasons why it's not. But it's hard. Is this a dominating culture who is centered in the systems of the government and the economy who is taking away from the cult? Obviously not. Mm. No, 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 no. I know an awful lot of people who are involved in passing on traditions from cultures that they didn't grow up in. And remembering, I think, there's a huge problem in this social construct here in which you forget your relationship to the art and to the artists that you learn it from. There is that relational element. There is the context in which you learn it. And as someone who then turns around and denigrates Arabic-speaking nations and the people that live in those parts of the world, there are then people who take belly dance, dance classes from the pale-skinned blonde lady around the corner. So there's that, again, remaining in integrity and right relationship with, I actually like to think of it in terms of context. Yeah. The word that I tend to use relative to cultural appropriation is about context. I don't speak Irish fluently. Mm. I learned the old songs straight from old Irish people who are passing on this tradition. Yeah. And so my authority comes from going deeply into listening to that culture and being gifted these songs. Yeah. And my authority doesn't translate in every context. Like I'm not going yeah. to go into Ireland and sing their songs to them. I'm not going yeah. to present myself as the expert you should pay in yeah. those spaces. That awareness of context and that awareness of relations and relationships with the arts that you find and interact with and live with, explore, share, teach, yeah. grow is an important it's, part. It is an important part and it's never finished as you're kind of alluding to. Like it's it's never finished. So if someone is like, well, I did this and I ticked this box and I'm in right relationship so I can do this. I'm like, no, 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 this thing is not finished. If you continue to participate in this, you are going to have to have some rough conversations sometimes and that's part of the dance. This is not finished. You're participating in something. There's a lot of pain and grief and a lot of high emotion around this. Some people might look at it as cultural theft from within that culture. You know, obviously preference all of the people from within the culture above people's making comments to the side. So so it is important to wrestle with and relate to and be curious and receptive to that. Mm -hmm. You know, not to be like, well, no, because of this. And this person said it was okay. And it's like, this may all be true. But if you are going to continue, especially in the marketplace of ideas and culture, if you are going to continue to do this thing in whatever context, you're going to be asked questions and how you choose to turn up to that will often clue in the person asking the question to whether or not you are trustworthy. <laughs> right. And that's really important because a lot of it is whether or not these people, these lineages, these groups can trust you. That's an unfolding thing. I know that like the first time I went to Ireland, I sang American songs and I listened to and that that entry, that entree into Irish traditional music spaces was specific to me walking in as a good listener first and then being invited by like this Hansel and Gretel style gingerbread crumb trail into the next layer of depth of study and invitation and learning from the song carriers 
you and know. the the shanna singers and without approaching it from the perspective of being present enough to be in that right relationship with listening and learning from them their songs the way that they do them the way that they teach them the way that they've learned them and passed them down generationally if i hadn't shared my presence and my intimacy with yeah. being a listener that conversation could never have continued to unfold absolutely and you're displaying humility in doing so which i always like to remember means to be of the earth humility means to be of the earth hume you know. must yeah. yeah so you're displaying that you understand that there is either kinship relationality or nothing like because so many people come in with that higher or lower game hmm. And, you know, people who are really humble are coming in with there is either a relationship here or there is not. So how do I be curious? How do I how do I wait? What are the practices of waiting? I don't think a lot of Western people are good at waiting. <laughs> there are so many practices, cultural protocols and practices around waiting. And so that's an important thing to remember in this fast paced world where we think we're entitled or where society says you are entitled to buy whatever you want. If you bought it, you've got it like you can break it like mm -mm, no. That's not how that works. It's a fascinating place to take this conversation is specifically where how I learned to listen was being on long road trips with my brothers to go to these music festivals and to not have my turn to sing for decades and to not to not be in control of other people's taking the, their time with a 28 verse ballad. I'm not in control of that when it's their turn. There's no part of my relationship to these older singers which would dictate to them a power dynamic of them hopping to like a commodity for my entertainment or purpose. And I, I feel a little bit weird when people who are attending these kinds of song sharing sessions and traditional singing sessions and stuff, they come in sort of clapping their hands and going, I want you to do a whatever. Or like, hey, Amelia does songs. Do that one song I like. I'm not a trained monkey. I'm not a jukebox. I'm a person. And now is not the moment. Like that's a weird interruption of the social event or, or the fact that everybody has a turn around the circle of the song sharing. That yeah, this person has sung every week for the last 16. No, they're not going to sing tonight. Sorry, I know you like them, but this is not, the art isn't there as a commodity for someone's entertainment and desire and because they want it, yeah. it exists outside of that as an assumption and as, as a relationship. Like it's a different kind of relationship. Yeah. And it sort of wandered around a little bit there, but is there something you would want to say to someone starting out in a mystical arts path that is a sum up recommendation or, hey, I wish I'd known this. It takes a long time to build confidence to trust those faculties and capacities of intuition and instinct for a lot of people. It takes a long time, but there will come a time in that learning and deepening and embedding and rerouting into these maybe more primordial, older, sensuous ways of doing and being and relating, where you do understand your ways of knowing, where you substantially comprehend your ways of knowing. And that's not exactly an event or a place or a time, but that will unfold and it continues to unfold and so there's an internal compass and then it's really important to remember that that's your compass and that there are all these other compasses and then there's a lot of negotiation there's a lot of discerning there's a lot of navigating the intricacy and complexity of relationships relationships are complex they always will be there will always be crunchiness that's part of it 
and there will always be bliss and ecstatic communion that is actually always there, just around the corner, really. And so, yeah, so is there a way to anchor into humility, not into modesty virtue? How can we retrain or remember how to be earnestly proud about what we are connected to? When I think about what I'm proud about, it's often about friendships or connections or who I know. That's where pride comes up. It's about what I'm serving, what I'm celebrating. What are your anchors to earnest, sincere pride? And how can we train? I think this is true for any artist or any person. How can we train ourselves and trick ourselves out of, oh, no, not me. I'm not good enough. I'm not this enough. I'm, you know, oh, that's more for that person. They're much more better at this than me. No, (laughs) like how, like that's not helping me. That's not helping you. That's not helping anyone. Can we all please help each other to pivot into... It feels naff to say self-love, but I'm trying to get at that. Like if, you know, self-compassion, self-love, self-esteem. I just come across so many people who say those things over and over again. And it's a a trap. It's a trap that has been set up for you. Mm. And I want people to remember that. It's a trap that has been set up for you. And how can you go, oh my God, that's that trap again. And then how do you reorient your life force? Don't let anyone else have it unless you freely give it. That's what I feel like you were saying with all of that. This is what this 28 line ballad is. This is what this is what this offering is now. It is earnestly, sincerely, deeply within the web of relationships offered. Will your offering be to listen? Will your offering be to gratefully receive it? So that's how I often am tracking these things. If I feel any kind of like pressure on my own part or on the part of those around, if I feel like there is like consumptive stuff going on, you know, I'm there for mutual ecstasy and mutual mutual knowing and mutual growing. Mm-hmm. Those are what those are things I would say. Like that's what it, that's what it is for me at least. Yeah, it's worthwhile. Like it's worthwhile. It's not easy, but sometimes it feels blissful. <laughs> it's not always easy to be a part of these networks, these communities, these ways of being and doing, especially because of everything else trying to obliterate those ways of being. Yeah, people get stuck in. There's an excruciating part about how how living your best life, remaining fully and integrally in relationship with the world around you, how threatening that is and how hard that is. But also the other side is because of retaining my relationship to the world around me, I've been able to connect with and find other people who are doing that kind of thing. But there are people out there in terms of mutual aid and mutual lift up and supporting. And so these communities that do these kinds of weirding, transgressive, you exist as a whole person in this place that I desperately want people to feel small in. If it's not good for them in that moment, wrong audience. <laughs> like that's the wrong place to be sharing these gifts. And it has nothing to do with the value that you are sharing or giving or or being in. And it matters if you're in relationship with your environment, including the other people with their foibles and insecurities and whatever else, only insofar as in that moment, they're the audience, but it's not the arbiter of what the other side of that conversation gets to be forever. Yeah. So where can people find and support your art? How do you feel fed and nourished and given back to as much as you put out there and or, well, yeah, compensated or supported in terms of reviews on your websites or how do people support you? Do you have a Patreon? Do you have books they can... 
I do have a Patreon, which is handily on that link tree that you gave earlier. Thank you. I, uh, I struggle with this constantly. Currently, I feel like the, something that I'm feeling quite proud with um, is a lot of the offerings that I've actually placed on YouTube. Like some of them are very substantial. They're not like 10 minutes long. They're like an hour and a half long. But I, um, I have put up a number of things recently on my YouTube channel, which is also on that link tree, which are some of the, like, which are free offerings and classes. And as much as I need to be compensated for a lot of my hard work, I always remember that I must give completely freely. So, so I'm giving freely and the compensation for that for me is engage it, engage it. Like, so that would be a joy that brings me joy. Um, that engagement brings me joy. And then there's a few other projects I have, like I have channeled, caught, written, collaborated on so many chants. I have literally hundreds. Some of them are not my favorites. When I sing them or when other people sing them, they make me cry and laugh. And so I'm beginning to, I have no idea how to record any of that, but I have a dear friend who does. And I'm beginning to move towards that. I, I would like it just to be freely offered and on my website eventually, but you know, I will, I think donations are beautiful. If you like, oh, I really liked that and I have extra funds. I always think that's great. I don't really have that option. I guess my only option for that is my Patreon, which, you know, I do readings for you every month and I record these 30 minute things for you every month. So it does still feel like it's a reward system, which I struggle with sometimes, but it is what it is in this moment. <laughs> and I'm still struggling with that story, that trick, that trap, which the dominant culture here is like, artists are- Non-essential. Artists are not essential <laughs> and artists are mad or crazy in mm. ways that aren't whole. They are not offering something that is actually important. And yet, what do we turn to in times of deep stress, calamity? We turn to art. We almost all do it. And people forget sometimes that the movies and the films and the soundtracks and the album, that's all artists. We all turn to art and that is what keeps us connected. So compensate artists, <laughs> help to forge cultures where artists are remembered again. There are many cultures that still exist where this is true, but in the so-called West, let there be a remembrance of that mm. where artists are you know, held. And this is true of any of the, maybe we need to re-reevaluate what an artist is. An artist is also part of the caring. We, we have this thing about the caring professions. Artists are part of that too. Too. Artists care a lot. <laughs> so raise us up. Like so, for so long, it's been these traditionally patriarchal paternalistic professions that are considered to be the most. What about all those people who care and hold and gift and challenge and provoke as and part of their feed care? and support and feed yeah. and nourish and give the space that is needed to do those dehumanized and dehumanizing things? Yeah. It's not about making somebody else money like oh those are those are the real professions right like you're a fireman or a policeman or a teacher or a, like those are the essential ones and it's like well but as you say what do we turn to you know give me bread but give me roses nobody can survive on bread alone yeah final question for you theo and that is <laughs> if you were a muppet what kind of muppet or combination of muppets would you be i love muppets <laughs> i often feel like a muppet uh, like are you asking specifically of the muppets like the extant muppets or not necessarily okay, like not necessarily. someone the other day mentioned dark crystals agra ah yes 
And I was like, that totally fits. Oh my gosh. Now, like, that is, yes. Well, I definitely draw some of my lineage from her for sure. <laughs> uh, for sure. She was a very early imprint on my childhood. Mm. Like, and then there are fraggles. And then there yeah. are, like, the fire critters in Labyrinth. Yeah. Or those little goblins. Or the lady with the the tre treasure chest of people's personal childhood items. Yeah. In the, all of them count. Some all people, of them count. Yeah, some people go okay. Sesame Street. Some people do the more mainstream ones. Some people do yeah. like combinations of them. When I was a kid, I definitely, I grew up with Sesame Street. It was always there. I definitely deeply related to Big Bird, like deeply. I felt very calm. Big Bird is very calming to me. So there's that in me, or maybe Big Bird represents like one of my more wise selves. So there's a wisdom, a humble wisdom, a questioning, an earnest questioning that I have inside of me <laughs> and then I just melt away into all those weird critters that are inside the walls and up in the trees laughing and anytime I used to play the violin anytime a Muppet is playing a violin in a tree <laughs> or by the side where everyone's like having a great time I feel like that but then I then there's the other parts of me like the kind of unto myself in a cave-like room, mixing potions and looking at ancient manuscripts. <laughs> There's also that Ravenclaw part of it. Mm, that's and fun. Muppets yet to be discovered and discerned. I ask this of a lot of people just because I feel like how someone conceives of the answer tells me an awful lot about them. Yeah. I love this about you. I think this is a great quality that you have. <laughs> and that's part of the reason I think if I were a combination of Muppets, I would probably be some combination of Fozzie Bear and Gonzo the Great. Totally doing it, no matter how weird it is. Like, that's just, I'm a weirdo. It's high praise. It's, it's what happens. But I'm also a little bit Rolf. Rolf mm. is this sort of chill piano player in the background, kind yeah. of just holding it down and like, okay, we're along for the ride. And I'm playing the music while the tavern burns down around me. And okay, hey, just don't shoot the dog, right? Like, like, I definitely, I definitely love people who hold Gonzo within them. Like Gonzo came up, but not for me. But like, there's plenty of my beloveds have that. Hmm. I mean, someone who was supposed to be a really good friend of mine said, you're a really strange cookie. And I said, what do you mean by that? And they said, okay, if the world is a box of cookies and you've got chocolate chip cookies and you've got variations on chocolate chip, ooh, chocolate chip with walnuts. Ooh, ooh, darker chocolate chips. Oh, hey, maybe let's put some macadamia nuts for something really exotic. You're the ginger snap. It's good, but it doesn't belong with the other ones. Like, why is it there? <laughs> and I was like, I don't... I don't know that I'm comfortable with your description, but I know that you're not wrong. Um, <laughs> that's been a, a theme in my life. Like I thought I was totally unmatched for the way that the rest of the world worked. Like I thought I was stupid for a very long time and just really not capable of being social with other people or understanding what the rules of engagement were just because I have two mad eccentric genius parents and that does not necessarily fit in with mainstream. So I had a kind of opposite background in terms of academic life. Like, I could test out of anything you could imagine. And the really basic, what looked like obvious stuff was like, wait, yeah, but why? Wait, but walk me through how you got to that, what you think of as beginning thing. So I was doing like calculus when I was, you know, 12 and 13 and, and stuff, but not, and that's supposed to be a senior level high school thing or whatever. But I didn't understand how to do certain kinds of basic algebraic formulas or, or things. Like I just, what? <laughs> so I thought I just didn't have the capacity for stuff because I was just so freaking weird, apparently. I don't know, I'm not trying to be that weird. 
Thank you. It's been a marvel to be here with you and to see your delightful friends in the background. Oh, Sven? Are you talking about Sven? Yeah, and that bear and that other creature up above your head and that tree and those boxes. Introductions time. This is Nicholas. Hi, Nicholas. He's the coffee addict. He's British. Me too. Oh, I love that. And then Sven is a very funny one because he's got like sequins. Oh yeah, totally. I can see them. Yeah. Wow. And glitter in his, like, I don't know if you can tell the glitter in his, his little sweater here, but it's very sparkly. Like he's pink and sparkly and wow. he's my little gnome. And I was like, see his little hat has the sparkles in yeah, it too. Yeah, I can see the sparkles in the hat. That is so cute. Sven is adorable. He's kind of like a little Nissa in the house. Just sort of <laughs> keeping things chill and they all have stories and names. And, and it's funny because I've had people who know me try to denigrate this like that's so childish and whatever and like doing that as an adult i don't know man they're they're fucking protective and they're and occasionally people will give me stuffed friends or whatever and the personality will change it's like all of the others will oust the one that doesn't belong Mm. stuffed friend or something yeah they're all very protective of yeah well that makes sense to me i mean i do feel a little bit weird even talking about it but oh well oh well oh well have a lovely rest of your evening if you'd like to support this podcast, you can find us at www.patreon.com slash mixedmedia underscore talks. You can also find and support each of our guest artists directly. There will be links to some of their offerings in the spaces below in the description of each individual episode. I hope you had fun with Theo Gediparma. Thanks for joining Mixed Media Talks.